Philippians chapter 2 is where we're going to be today. And um, we're going to talk about friendships. This is a, it's kind of a unique passage because we, we've talked about some multiple things that were going on in Philippians chapter 1 and chapter 2 where, where Paul's kind of setting this precedence. Paul's in prison, if you'll remember. Uh, he's writing to the church of Philippi, which he started 10 years ago. He's not seen them in a while. So he's writing this letter to them to encourage them. Uh, a lot of Paul's letters were more of, uh, hey, you need to get your life together. This one's more of, hey, congratulations. I just want to point out a couple of good things that you're doing, the example that you're doing. And Paul's really just giving from a place of bondage at a place of prison in Rome. He's pinning this letter with joy, just so joyful when he thinks about the people. And so that brings us into Philippians chapter 2, where he, he gives us this whole rundown of imitate Christ. You need to have the same attitude of Christ. You need to think of other people. Uh, you need to understand that God's going to finish his work to the completion of what he said he's going to do. He, he brings all these theological points in, in the first chapter, in the first part of chapter 2. But here he takes a little bit of a swing because now he's showing us who it is. Like he's going to give us some, some prime examples of people that are living out Philippians chapter 1 and chapter 2. Now, I think you would agree with me when I say the right kind of people add joy to your life, right? Like when they call and you see their name pop up on the, your cell phone, it's like, oh, this is going to be great. And then there may be other people that when their name pops up on the cell phone, it's like, oh, I'm going to let that one go to voicemail. You, anybody? Okay. Just want to make sure we're all being truthful this morning. Um, the right people, the right people can bring joy to our lives. They can increase our joy. So why, why is it that the right people in our lives can, can bring joy? It's because the right people tend to ease our burdens. They make us feel safe. They make us feel cared for. And this is why we jump at opportunities to be around these people. This is why we jump at opportunities to answer their calls, to return their text. And by the way, just because somebody doesn't text you back immediately doesn't mean they don't love you. It just means they're busy or they've got 45,000 other texts that they still got to get back to you from three years ago. So the right people ease burdens and they take the grind out of life. Like I've got a friend that I grew up with. We, we grew up in church together. We drew on the back. We used to take the offering envelopes. Don't do this because they're expensive. I understand now. But when you take the offering envelopes, we'd cut it and we could tear it into one big sheet of paper and we would draw cartoons throughout the whole, they were Christian cartoons, don't judge me, we were drawing Christian cartoons uh, during the service, and, and Dustin and I were always getting in to all kinds of shenanigans around the church, uh, we, we knew where everything was, we hung out, and as we grew older together, uh, life, we were always there in hard times for each other, we were always there uh, in the good times, and the bad times, during sports, during academics, uh, whatever the matter, I mean, we, we would go to south of the border, anybody been to south of the border? Yeah, you regret that? Okay. Uh, south of the border was home for us. When people ask where I'm from, I'm, I'm tell people I'm from Dillon because that's where I'm from. They're like, where's Dillon? I said, well, you know where south of the border is. They're like, yeah, well, that's us. Um, some people have Lake Moultrie. Others have south of the border. And Dustin and I would just go hang out at south of the border and play arcade games all day. I mean, he was, he was, is my, my true friend. Like, I love Dustin. We, we, it's thick and thin, right? When I'm with him, and we haven't seen each other in about a year, but when we're together, it's like we picked up where we last left off. You have people like that in your life. It's like when you see them, things pick up. Now, why is Dustin like that with me? Because for Dustin, Dustin kind of takes the grind out of life for me. He, he's an encourager. He uh, speaks truth. We, we share a lot of common interests. He loves Jesus. And anytime that we get to be around each other, it's just like 
we pick up where we left off. Uh, ben Rector, who's a, a musician, incredible musician, songwriter, says this, that th there's, there's just no friends like old friends, right? Like you can make new friends, but there's something about the old friends because you have a lot of investment and a lot of time. Let me ask you a couple of questions. I want you to answer these in your mind and be truthful. So here's your first question. Can you name five of the most wealthiest people in the world right now? You might be able to get one and two, but can you in your mind name the top five wealthiest people in the world? All right. Got it. I'm going to go with no, but we're going to move on. Can you name the last five Heisman Trophy winners? I'll give you a hint. None of them came from the University of South Carolina. That changes this year. We're not. We're not going to see it. But we're going to have hopes. We have a blessed hope. All right, we got it? You, you got the five. I know all of you got the last five Heisman Trophy winners. Can you name the last five Miss America pageant winners? And not the Miss South Carolina girl a few years ago that didn't know what Afghanistan was, if you hadn't seen that video. Or when Steve Harvey accidentally announced the wrong person. All right, we got it? How we do? Terrible. Terrible. Um, these people represent the best in their fields of what they do. But we don't remember them because they were yesterday's headlines or five years ago's headlines, right? We don't remember them. So now, now let me give you a different set of questions. I think you're going to do a, a lot better job on. Name three friends in your mind who have helped you through a difficult time. Think about a difficult time that you've been through. Name those three friends in your mind. We got it? Now think of five people that you enjoy spending time with. If they called you right now, you'd say, yes, let me get a kitchen pass for my wife. I'm with you. I'm on this. Y'all know what a kitchen pass is? That's when she says it's okay. You got those people in your mind? I bet you got all A's on those two questions, didn't you? The reason being the people who matter to us are not the ones with the most trophies, with the most wealth, or with the most beauty. The people that matter to us most are those who make the most impacts in our lives, and they're those who care for us the most, right? If, if we broke down your list of people, you would say, these, these people actually care for me. They love me. They, they love me to, to help resource things that I need. They, they love me to help guide me and make me better. They, they, they love me and they truly care for me, not because of who I am, but because of me. They just like me, not because of what I might do for a living or what I may have or, you know, but they love me for who I am. It's important that we have the right people around us. Like we go through hard times and, and we need to remember these people. These are the people. These are my people, right? They're my people. And it's easy for us to forget, as, as easy it is for you and I to, to know that we've got to have these people in our lives. Paul also had to have these people in his life. Like he needed people to help spur him along, to help move him towards the gospel message being preached. And, and so Paul had friends. And here in Philippians, he, he names two of his friends. And by the way, Paul didn't spend a whole lot of time hanging out with his old friends. 
because his old friends had the same agenda that he did was get rid of Christianity, which he's now a part of. So he, he wasn't about that game plan anymore. So these friends that Paul picks up are the ones that he's been discipling because friendships develop in discipleship, like true friendships. And so Paul here in Philippians comes across, he introduces us to these two guys. Number one is a guy named Timothy, and then there's a guy named Ephroditus. Ephroditus, it sounds like a, a foot disease, but Ephroditus. Timothy and Ephroditus were both friends of Paul. They were both servants to Paul. They both added enormous joy to Paul. When Paul talks about them, he's, he's, he's full of joy. He actually writes to, to Timothy. And, and, and so Paul loves these guys. These guys are exactly what he has been talking about in chapter 1 and the first part of chapter 2. Timothy's young. He became a protege to the apostle Paul. Paul meets him on his first missionary journey. And as he's on this journey, he goes through the, what is modern-day Turkey, which is Asia Minor. And he went into this little town called Lystra, and then he went into another town called Derby. And it was probably in that first town of Lystra that Paul would meet Timothy. Now, Timothy's the son of a Jewish woman. He's the son of an unbelieving father. His father's a Gentile. But on the first of Paul's missionary trips, he runs across young Timothy. And Timothy gives his life to Christ. And later on, he's, Timothy's going to become a major part of Paul's mission team. It's, it's, it's that one investment on that first journey. See, a lot of times Paul comes around that first journey that he makes, and he's developing relationships and discipling people. And when he comes around on the second journey, those people that he discipled become partners with him. They, because they've got it. They've got the gospel. They're living the gospel. And now they want to be a part of this gospel movement. And they want to jump on the train that Paul was on. So on the second missionary journey, when he comes through town, he invites Timothy. He invites him to come be a part of what I'm doing. Come be a part of this missionary journey. So he starts traveling with Paul. So over time, Timothy begins to develop maturely, maturity spiritually. So there's a spiritual maturity that begins to develop because he's in a friendship with Paul where Paul is challenging Timothy and Timothy is challenging him to not be a better person, but to be a better follower of Jesus because that's what we all need, right? A lot of people have their opinions on what it takes to be a better person. If you'll do these five things, you'll be a much better person. We, you notice that every single book that promises that on Amazon or in any brick and mortar bookstores that still exist None of them are the same thing. You never get the five same things from people. But if you go to the scripture, it's always the same thing. You get joy in Jesus and Jesus alone. And so here, there's this relationship that begins to build. And because friendship like Rome was not built in a day, it takes time for us to cultivate a mature love and a mature friendship with one another. Am I right? It takes time. This is why those old friends are so worth keeping because you, you spent so much time with them. This is why those people that text you and, and it gives joy to, to talk with them or to see them or have dinner with them or grab a cup of coffee with them or just get a simple text from them because it's people that you have spent time with. It, you cultivated these relationships to happen. All that to say, that's what we're dealing with here in Philippians chapter 2. These are the people, the two men that Paul has invested in. He knew that friendships, gospel friendships, are lifelong. You can say it this way, that we, we have unfortunately reduced Christianity to a one-time decision rather than a lifelong journey. Discipleship is a life 
lifelong journey. You don't, you don't ask Jesus to save you, and then that's it. it. This is a lifelong process. And guess what? In the process, you and I are going to fail. Okay? So I don't want you thinking that in this process of becoming more like Christ that you're going to be perfect and you're going to get an MVP award because you're going to nail every single thing. We are going to have our mess-ups and our flaws. And you know how we get out of those mess-ups and those flaws and how we, we, we get out of the, the ruts that we build for ourselves? Other people who love Jesus. And we have to understand this is lifelong. You don't have to quit because maybe you've had a failure in your relationship with Jesus and you feel like you've gone off track or you've had some doubts. It doesn't mean you need to quit. It just means that you need to push harder and get around people who care, that love Jesus. Get around those people. Because following Jesus means we are moving. It's what we call follower of Jesus, right? Jesus, what he started in Matthew chapter 28 was a movement to go make disciples. He uses the word go. This is a movement. And as we go, we move with people who are like-minded and who we can be in the trenches with. So you have to do life with other people. You cannot live in isolation. Can I, can I stress that again? You cannot live in isolation away from the body. You will not grow. If you're the arm to the body and I cut you off and I throw the arm over there on the floor, are, is that going to do you any good? Is it going to do the body any good? Which one's going to suffer worse, by the way? The arm or the body? The whole body? Because somebody's bleeding out. You fine. You only got so much blood because you're just an arm. But the rest of the body is going to bleed out. It's, a, it's essential that the body stays together. That's a biology lesson for you this morning. You can say this too, that, that life requires companions more than content. In 2020, when we had COVID, there was a, a whole movement that we had to go online. You remember that? Those were awful days of trying to figure all that stuff out. And people went into isolation. And now that we've come out of that, here we are in 2023, and now people have just resorted to content versus companionship. Well, I can go and watch the sermon later. I can download this and listen to it. Oh, I attend this church that's in this state 45,000 miles away, but I'm right here, but that's my people. But yeah, you don't have any relationship with people. Like we get so fed on content thinking that that's all we need in this relationship with Jesus. But the truth is, it's not content that we need. We got more than enough content. Would you agree? Like it doesn't take, you can just go type in the word Jesus on Google and it'll pop up millions of searches and, and things that you can have for content. We need less content and more companionship with people. You got, you got to make that intentional. So since Paul, Paul can't personally gather with the church of Philippi because he's in prison. So what he does is he plans on sending these two individuals who epitomize what it looks like to be reliable and what it looks like to be a gospel companion. So he's like, I don't want you to feel isolated. I'm going to send you somebody that's going to care for you and going to love you and be able to have physical uh, companionship here. So the Bible says, we pick it up in Philippians chapter 2, verse 19. He says, now I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be encouraged by the news about you. For I, I have no one else like-minded who would generally care about your interests. All seek their own interests, but not those of Jesus Christ. Paul says that Timothy has the same interest in you that Jesus has in you. How would you like to be accused of that? That you care so much that it looks a lot like Jesus caring for you. Well, that's supposed to be one of the marks of who we are as disciples. 
It's just caring for people. And he, and he says that, hey, I'm going to send Timothy. I'm encouraged about the news that I'm hearing from the church, the good things that are happening, and I'm going to send Timothy to you because he's like-minded. He thinks like you do. In other words, everything that I wrote to you in chapter 1 and the first part of chapter 2, he's like that. He has the same attitude of Christ. And so I know by sending him, he will generally care about your interest. And you see what Paul's doing? Paul's saying, even though I'm not there, I mean, he hadn't been there in 10 years. He can just say, hey, you guys are on your own. You got it figured out. Don't worry about it. But Paul even takes the time from a prison cell to make sure that they're still cared for and that he's sending someone that's not about their interest, but he's about the interest of other people. That's important. If Jesus is concerned for your welfare, then those who follow him will be as well. Let me just say that louder for the people in the back. If Jesus is concerned for your welfare, then those who follow him will be as well. I'm going to give you a little newsflash here. Not every relationship in your life is for your godly welfare. Let me say that one again. Not every relationship in your life is for godly welfare. And you got to start figuring out which ones those are because there's some of them that drain the life out of you. And when I say life, I just mean everything spiritual within you just gets drained out because you want to, you, you just can't do it. And, and you got to figure out what those things are. Not, not everybody is for your growth. A lot of times there are people who are encouraging you and pushing you and want you to become more like Christ. And, and they're always there for you. You need to make sure that, that you have people in your life who are pushing you towards Jesus, not their opinions or their thoughts, but towards the scripture. You got to have those people. But not everybody's like that. Not every relationship's like that. And sometimes we disguise these friendships. We'll just put a little bit of spirituality in them. We'll say something spiritual. Will Jesus juke somebody in a conversation? You got to know that you got to know that the people in your life, the true friends that you have, are pushing you, spurring you on, iron sharpening iron relationship. Because if you're not guarding that, your sword's not going to be sharp. You're going to be dull, and eventually you will turn out like the one that is shaping you. Right? And so. In Philippians 2, Paul says that you got to have the same attitude as Christ. Jesus, and he says, and if you look out for the interest of other people, well, Timothy is this example. He's not one that's friends with Paul for an agenda. He's not there to discourage Paul. He is there to learn, to grow, to sharpen his skill in discipleship, but also to sharpen Paul. Look what he says in verse 22. He says, now remember, he's writing this to the church of Philippi. But you know his proven character. His proven character. You know, character is a very important thing in our society. Because you can be the most talented person in the world and not have any character. And you can be awful. Right? I tell our students here at the school, in my classes, that uh, you can be the most talented person in the world. But your talent's not the thing that keeps you at the table and gives you the opportunities. It's always your character. And I will hire people with character over talent all day, every day. Because character is who you are. It's who you are when nobody is watching. And he says, but you know, you know Timothy's proven character. 
Like you've seen what he's done. You've read the things that he's done. You, you've heard the conversations. You know. Because the people that we've been with the longest, we know their character. We know who they are. We know the ins and outs. Because relationships are built over time and through trials. Wouldn't you agree with me that some of your strongest relationships came through times of trials and heartaches? Yeah? I can, I can look back in my life and, and I can see friendships that I had. And when going through trials and heartaches, those relationships were, were forged to a fire and they grew. They, we became stronger. And it takes time and it takes trials. And sometimes you have disagreements with your friends and, and you got to forge through it. You got you to push through towards, towards the scripture. But relationships are built over time. I would love to say that our relationships can just be put in the microwave, right? And we just pop it like a thing of popcorn, which I tend to burn because it's never the same time on the microwave that is on the bag. But relationships aren't microwavable. Well, we, we just punch in the, the number and then boom, here we are. To have a good, solid relationship, you got to put in, you ready? You got to put in time and you got to put in work. And I would say this, it's not just for the relationships with our friends, but if you want to have a relationship with Jesus, you got to put in the time and the work. You know, we talk about, uh, I've, I've heard this with people who are like, oh man, it must have been so easy for Jesus because Jesus knew all the scripture. He just knew it. But did he? Did he know it because he was God or did he know it because he studied it? Because the Bible said that he didn't use his godliness to his advantage. Jesus was a studier of the scriptures. He knew the word. Well, he was the word, but he knew the word because he studied the word. And if Jesus is studying the scripture, I think it would be important for us to do the same. Look at um, the second part of verse 22. It says, because he has served with me. So he's proven character because he served with me in the gospel ministry like a son with a father. And therefore, I hope to send him as soon as I can, as I see how things go with me. I'm confident in the Lord that I myself will also come. So Paul was pretty confident that he was going to get out of the bind that he was in in Rome and be able to come back to them. He, he was not right. That was not a good inclination, but he felt it in his heart. So whatever Paul needed to get through, he, he got through. But he says, I want to come to you. And so he says, it's like a father with a son. There's a family dynamic here. Do you see it? If your church doesn't feel like a family, you're missing a critical part of spiritual development. And that's why people get isolated and leave. Because they never come into the family. And some people don't come into the family because they don't know how to be cared for because they've never experienced that before. And sometimes fear uh, will drive you outside of what you really need. I'd say all the time fear will drive you. Your church should feel like a family. And when you're not around each other, you should feel like there's a critical part of my spiritual development that's going. Why? Because when I'm in this room with you and I'm having conversations with you, I'm encouraged spiritually. I'm growing. I'm helping you grow, but you're helping me grow. And this is what it's supposed to be. And we're all moving towards Jesus at different paces, but on moving towards Jesus. The church should never feel like extracurricular activities. It should never feel like an event. It should, should feel like I'm missing my family. Church should feel like family. Paul says that Timothy's like a son, like, like father, like son. So to see Timothy meant that you felt Paul. 
because of Timothy's here, he's kind of speaking on Paul's behalf. And, and we know how Timothy loved Paul. And we know that he, he has a good representation because he's family. And if he's family with Paul, he's family with us. So when Timothy is speaking, there's a family connection here. So there's got to be a family. And families, and there's always going to be a couple of crazy uncles in the family. So you probably already know who you are. But as a family, we go through highs and lows together. We go through disagreements together. There's not a perfect family. There is on Instagram because there's filters for that. But you guys know as good as I do, when you take family photos, they don't always look like the picture turns out. Somebody hit somebody. Somebody was crying right before. There were threats made on the photo shoot that if you do not smile, you fill in the blank with that. Anybody have that experience? Come on. Okay, three people being honest. And one youth raised his hand, so the mom didn't, dad didn't, youth did. So we'll talk about that later. Church needs to feel like a family. In verse 25, Paul gives us a second example. So that's Timothy. He talks about Ephoditus. Look what he said. We don't know much about Ephoditus, but we do know this. He says, but I considered it necessary to send Ephoditus, my brother, my co-worker, a fellow soldier, as well as your messenger and minister uh, to my needs. I sent him. Paul gives a solid resume of this guy. He says that he's a brother. He's a co-worker, a fellow soldier with him. He's a messenger of the gospel. Listen, you need people in your life who are moving in the same direction. Okay? If, if Jesus is not in their direction, you need, you need to veer off onto your path and get people who are on the same journey that you're going on to push you. Okay? And, and so Christianity without companionship is not Christianity at all. Christianity is not meant to be lived in this self-isolation. It's not meant to be someone who, who comes in and out of church services or, or someone who just watches online. You have to have other people in your life or this does not work out well. Because it can't be. It's just me and Jesus. Well, Jesus has a whole bunch of followers with him too. So it can't be you and Jesus. It needs to be you, Jesus, and the body. Because attached, you do nothing. So if you're living Christianity without companionship, it's not Christianity. It's just a gathering. Fun time. Christianity is not built to be lived in isolation. It's built with companionship. You have to have other people. Look at 26. He says, since he has been longing for all of you, he was distressed because you heard that he was sick. Now, who was sick? Ephoditus was sick. And he says, since he's been longing for all of you, he was distressed because you heard that he, he's distressed because you heard that he was sick. And indeed, he was sick that he nearly died from whatever this sickness was. However, God had mercy on him and not only on him, but also he had mercy on me that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. I, 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 God had mercy on me that my friend Ephoditus didn't die. And then you were so concerned about him that he was concerned that you were concerned. You ever have people that are more concerned about you? You go to the hospital to visit them, to check in on them, and they turn the conversation from you caring for them to, hey, how are you doing? How's your life? How's your family doing? Y'all ever had that happen? That they're more concerned about you? This is the same thing that's happening in this passage. He got sick from working for the gospel that he almost dies, and God saves him from that. And the interesting thing is that he becomes concerned about the Philippian church because he was concerned that the church was concerned about him and he didn't want his sickness to be an inconvenience and take them away from what was important. I would say that is putting yourself before other people. 
right? Your deepest concerns should not be your personal conveniences, but the legitimate needs of other people. Because you need people in your life who in their darkest moments still have Jesus and others first and are not always thinking about them first. And Ephroditus is sick, yet he's thinking of other people. Your deepest concern should not be your personal conveniences, but the legitimate needs of other people. How are we, are we thinking through a lost world out there and how we can serve them, love them, show them Jesus? Paul says in verse 28, for this reason I'm very eager to send him so that you may rejoice again when you see him, so you know that he's alive. And I may be less anxious that you know that he's alive. Therefore, welcome him in, in the Lord with great joy. Hold people like him in honor, because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up what was lacking in your ministry to me. Paul said that I am glad that I can send Ephroditus to you. Oftentimes, God can use the separation to teach us the real need that we have for each other. Well, I mean, in, in 2020, when we had to take our few months apart from each other and couldn't be around each other, that was painful. As a new church, like, if you're going to pick a time to plant a church, that was not the time to be picking to plant a church. Y'all remember those days? Like, everything was booming, and all of a sudden it was like nothing. And, and being apart from one another, like, you really learned... The, the love and the, and the concern that you had for one another. Because separation will do that. It'll, it'll help you trigger things in your brain. of There's a separation and, 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 and there's this longing to be with my people, to be with my friends. Because that, I mean, 2020 was awful, right? And then, you know, we were going to take six weeks to flatten the curve and, and that, that never happened. But God used that separation, I think, to teach us a real need for each other. I feel like we're more vulnerable to one another. We're more transparent to one another as a body. The Philippian church had gone years without seeing Paul and Ephroditus, but they've been separated from each other, but long to be together physically again, the gathering. When we say things like Sunday is our favorite time together, it is because it's a time that we come in together as a body, that we're here together. That community happens in this room. And while it happens in this room, it's far more important that you get into a life group than it is just you being in here. Because life group is where life really happens. You're around other people and you can be way more open about what's going on. Let me give you a couple of application points this morning. There's three of them. Your spiritual temperature can be gauged by the quality and the proximity of your relationships. You are typically like the, the five people that you hang out with the most. That's who you're going to end up like. That's your influences. You want to know where your spiritual temperature is and you want to gauge it. Who are the people that you're hanging out? What is the quality of people that you're spending the most time with? All right. Well, the proximity of those relationships and not just they love Jesus and we hang out. Are they pushing you to love Jesus more and are you pushing them to love Jesus more? Because I, the people that we hang out with is what's going to move that temperature gauge up and down. You also need to have good gospel friends, and we need to be good gospel friends to other people. That's why relationships in the church are so important. Relationships are two-way, right? I can't be like, give me, 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 right? Like a toddler. I've got to give out as well. 
We do not want to be a church that is a consumer church that is all about what you can get from here. And somebody asked me, like, why, why don't you guys do first-time guest gifts? Like, when people come for the first time, they don't get a coffee cup or a T-shirt. Uh, because we're not trying to breed consumerism. If I gave you a coffee cup and a T-shirt the first time you came, what did we just say? It's all about you. You got a T-shirt. That's a big piece of our budget. That's the second reason, not the first reason. But because we care to say, hey, we don't want you to be a consumer. We want you to... You will be poured into, but we want to pour in and then you pour out to other people. You got to do your part. If you're in friendships where it's always one way that you're being poured into and be careful what's being poured into you, by the way. But are you being poured into and poured out? Or is that or you feel like you're constantly the one person always pouring, always pouring? Because if you're the friend that's always pouring, your well will run dry eventually. You gotta have you gotta have these relationships where you can give and take. That's what makes it go well. Here's your last application today. Your current level of longing for the body of Christ reveals your actual connection to the body of Christ. Now, I want you to process that thought this week, because that's a lot to take in. But hear me. Your current level of longing for the body of Christ reveals the actual connection to it. Do you long to be around believers? To be spurred on? To read scripture together and pray together, fellowship together, break bread together? Is that a longing? Like you, you long just to be in those circles. And, and I know that like the thought is if we're always in those circles, how do we reach outsiders? We'll get the, the outsider piece, okay? What we're saying is we invest our time in the right places. You remember Enron a few years ago, the investment thing that everybody lost money on? If I told you today that I had a great opportunity for you to invest in a company called Enron, it's just a thousand bucks, would you give me money to make that investment? They got a bad track record. Uh, they didn't do so hot in investment fields. But you wouldn't put your money where the investment wasn't. So why would we put our time when the investment's not? Make sense? If I knew that the right relationships, and students, this is so important for you, hear me. Put yourself in the right relationships with people who love Jesus. Because if not, you'll become like everything else that's not of Jesus. And adults, I've got to do the same thing. So this week, I want to challenge you to do a couple of things. I want you to physically write out who are those people when it all goes bad who are those people that I call text that I know will respond to me from this book right here who are those people and if you have those people I want you to take a next step I want you to physically handwrite a little postcard just thanking them for being them and for following Jesus. I know it's easy to email, it's easy to text, but wouldn't you agree with me that when you get a piece of mail that has your name on it, somebody hand wrote it, it just means a lot more? Like we've lost that art of connection. But write those people, and you might have five people. I don't know. You might be like super, I got tons of friends that love Jesus, and if you do, I want to talk to you because I don't know how to do that. 
But I want you to physically just write those people and just tell them how thankful you are for them and pray for them that you have them in your life and they have you in your life. And if you list, you make your list and you don't have anybody, I want you to begin praying in that moment and I want you to handwrite a prayer out to the Father to reveal those people to you in your life. Because there are people here and one of the places that you can find lasting friendships is in a life group. In a life group. That's where, that's where we really thrive in our relationships with one another. So I want to pray for you. The day's message is not, um, it's not like it has been in the last couple of weeks because this is really just about friendships and discipleship. And Paul takes a different, a different approach to here. But I think for, for us, this is a time for us to stop and evaluate where we are in our relationships with, with other people. So let me pray for you. Father, I pray right now in, in the name of Jesus that you will search our hearts. Help us determine and define the relationships that we have in our lives. God, we need people to pouring in. I pray that we would even self-analyze ourselves. Are we one that is pouring into other people? Do we have that one person that we're pouring into, spurring them along towards the gospel? See, God, this is a can often be very difficult because we, we try to make excuses in these moments of and justify things. I pray your Holy Spirit would not let any one of us get away with that today, that you would bring conviction to each one of us. Because God, you want us to live an abundant life, and part of that is not just relationship with you, but it's also relationship with your people, with the body of Christ. So move in this moment as I know you will, and we worship you for everything that you are. We love you, and we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.